This is an AMI podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new year of Double Tap. It is 2024 and time to look back at the year that was 2023. Yes, it's our Tech News Review Show. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, this is absolutely not an excuse just to play clips for an hour. Of course, who would do that? I know. Who would do- No, a clip show is always a, a bad idea and bad presenters and hosts, whoever does that. This is something different. This is different. This is an opportunity to listen to <laughs> clips from the past year of things oh. from the show. That's oh. not in any way the same thing. No, this was quite interesting to go back through and see how the year has progressed. Uh, listen, let's dive right in because, of course, the big story of 2023 was AI. That's all anybody talked about. And AI mm-hmm. is mentioned a lot in this hour, uh, and it will be because, of course, it has to be. But what I also want to look at are those other stories that perhaps don't get the attention from other outlets because they're very unique to us as blind people. So I want to dive right into that. And we start the year off in January, which is actually quite a useful place to begin a year. Um, I want to start with a mention of the PlayStation Accessible Controller. That was the first big access tech story of the year. And it was announced that PlayStation Sony had worked on this uh, and were going to be releasing a, a version of, I guess, the Xbox Adaptive Controller, very similar um, different mm-hmm. design, though, um, and very, you know, very specific, of course, to the PlayStation. I don't know if this is something that would necessarily be able to be used with other consoles. They seem to be building these exclusively for their own devices, which I think is, is makes total sense. Xbox did that, and it would make sense that Sony would do the same. That's a great point, though. Are they, you know, cross-usable? Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm wondering if you could use them on a PC, because you can use Xbox controllers as standard on a uh, PC. That's a, that's a very good point. And you can use PlayStation controllers, not the adaptive one, but you can use PlayStation controllers with iPhones and Macs, but they sell them in the, app store, the Apple Store, which has always surprised me a little bit. But yeah, definitely we'll, we'll look into that in the new year because they are due to be released widely, so people can go and buy them. We're hearing about reviews at the moment, people talking about their, uh, their reviews of those, and we'll be getting into that in a bit more detail because, as you well know, Sean, gaming is not an area we talk about a lot on the show. It's something we're going to be talking about more frequently, I think, because we should. Um, well, just because there's so much accessibility movement yeah. in that sector right now, in gaming as in general, and, and from our own community, within our community as well, when it comes to gaming. It's much more talked about now than it's ever been before. I would say this might be the year I'd buy a console. I would, I would actually almost wow. consider this to be the year I buy a console because I, I think that this is the time to get into I mean, the, the question is now which one because, you know, you now have that fight of, okay, which one's leading the way in terms of accessibility? It's yes. no longer a case of is it accessible, it's how accessible is it? The conversation oh, that's shifted. just another um, platform battle. It's just what we need, iPhone <laughs> or Android or PlayStation or Xbox. Oh, I think that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Or Amazon Echo, in your case. Uh, That's probably Ah, the other option. Uh, But listen, I want to go back to the beginning of the year and uh, hear from the guy who actually brought us the story. He was the man who broke the story, and that is Grant Stoner, a disabled journalist 
And uh, this was uh, him talking back early uh, in 2023 to us about breaking the news. PlayStation reached out to me to offer me an exclusive interview for Wire magazine with the president and CEO Jim Ryan. Oh, for the device, we spoke about PlayStation's mission for accessibility, how this controller further enhances that mission, and PlayStation's awareness of the need for this device. Because um, they were perfectly aware that disabled people have been asking for this for years, but because devices take a while to make and produce, they just couldn't say anything until the right time, which was a few weeks ago. I mean, just incredible, right, to hear from him uh, getting that story. Again, a disabled journalist as well getting that story, I think, is just so appropriate. I mean, it, I know. It, it, we shouldn't really be championing that, but we also should be championing because it doesn't happen that often. Uh, that, that's exactly the point I was going to pick up on. How cool it that, 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 that Grant was the one to break this news rather than, you know, just going to the, the mainstream as, as normal, as default, if you like. I mm. think this is so cool. Well done, Grant. It was also the month in January that Microsoft bought into OpenAI. Yes, it was only in January last year, 12 months ago. (laughs) And that was at that point we learned that Microsoft were buying into this. And I remember the conversation we had with Mark Aflalo on, or sorry, excuse me, Mark Aflalo. He was on with us. Thank you. He was on with us to kind of try and make sense of this, right? Because we were struggling to understand what this meant. And I think we were still struggling to understand what OpenAI was, yes. what it was going to become. There was still a lot of question marks, wasn't there, around what OpenAI was. And by goodness, by the end of the year, I think we had a good handle on it. <laughs> well, you had no choice. I mean, you know, it just burst onto <laughs> the, the, the scene. But, um, well, yeah, there was a little bit of confusion. I mean, for a start, there was OpenAI and then ChatGPT. I, I, is that the product, which is, you know, are these competing? Are they the same thing? I was a little confused by all that. But, um, yeah, with the Microsoft getting involved, I think that was something as well that brought it to everyone's attention. I wonder what would have happened to OpenAI had it not had that investment from Microsoft. Maybe another company would have invested and we would have just carried on. But Microsoft's involvement was different, wasn't it? It kind of felt different, made it more credible as a company. I I think, think. yeah, I think it just pushed it along. I think it gave it because, you know, once Microsoft, I'm assuming, saw the sort of the tech demos, I'm sure that OpenAI were showing about, um, you could see the implementation into Windows and into, well, all of their services so far. You know, it's um, it's Clippy the paperclip on steroids. <laughs> and, you know, Microsoft have always liked that sort of helping hand approach, which is, you know, a, a good thing. And OpenAI obviously was a great way to achieve that. There were so many stories about Twitter over the year. And, you know, I did think about how we should talk about Twitter because or X, as it became, of course. Wow. That was the other big news of the, the year, that it changed its name. It lost the bird and uh, instead had a big X instead. Uh, or CapEx, <laughs> as my phone likes to remind me Cap-X. constantly. yes. For clothes. Um, or clothes, yeah. That was the other one, yeah, that came up at the beginning. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to focus in on one particular aspect of the Twitter story because you know we could go back and forward. And, and if, if I want to summarise Twitter in a year, this is it. Oh, it's, it's, it's doomed, it's going to die, it's failing. Oh, it's fine. 
Oh, it's doomed. It's going to die. It's going to fail. It's fine. That, to me, is pretty much the year in Twitter. Yes. And I think that is just going to be the case forevermore. It doesn't seem like people are drifting away from this platform, despite the the, the talk about it dying as a platform, despite people saying they don't want to be part of it anymore. There's more and more people joining it. There's more and more people on it. The conversation has definitely, I would say, degraded considerably. Mm-hmm. Um but I, and I think that there's a lot of work to be done on the algorithm side to make the content more interesting and usable. But I have got to say, from a personal point of view, I, I had to shelve it this year because I, I just thought the content I'm being served up here is just a diet of horror. And I just can't be dealing with that, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's, it, of course, the, the events of the year in the news yes. haven't helped this because, of course, the, the news has been absolutely tragic from October. Uh, not exclusively from October onwards, but let's be honest – from October, things became very grim. Yes. And, you know, the year wasn't exactly off to a great start anyway. Um, but on Twitter, the social media side of it, the kind of stories we were getting, I just had to walk away. Mid, Mid-October, I had to just leave the platform behind. And we still post to it. We obviously will continue to do that. We always are about supporting our, our audience who are on those platforms. We're not going to disappear on them. But at the same time, I, I have to think about my own mental health. And I, I can only sit and, and read so much of that stuff. And it's not that you can avoid it. That's the problem. It's, it's kind of, it's one thing with a screen reader because you're kind of having to listen to each individual post to get a sense of what it is before you can move to the next one. And even just hearing the first line sometimes is enough for me. So I just thought, you know, for me, mm-hmm. it, it's a time to, to maybe drift away from that platform. And, you know, it kind of goes back to that point I've been making all year about taking some responsibility for our use of our online time. You know, it's not it's not their fault that we're looking at them. You know, it's like the people who complain about, you know, McDonald's making them fat. It's like, yeah, but it's not really their fault. You're shoveling it in is the problem, right? So stop doing that and eat, you know, a salad every so often and you'll be probably better off, right? I mean, that that to Don't me just seems like a very me, simple... Stephen Scott. How dare you? But, but no, Personal no, but, responsibility. But, I'm a it. If you want to eat it and, and you want to eat that stuff or you want to you know, consume social media and you know, do it, but take responsibility for it. Say, I'm doing this. I will shovel as much rubbish into my face as I can get away with. And I will do that, but I'm not going to blame the company that's made it. Yeah, I think X has been a, a really interesting thing to watch. I mean, almost like a car crash in many ways. But there's, there's, mm. there's some times where I think, actually, I can see where Elon is coming from on that point when it comes to free speech and things like that. Who's to say who is you know, allowed to speak and who isn't when it comes to this size of a platform? Um, you know, everyone should have the right to speak. And then, you know, three hours later, what did he say? How dare he say that? You know, when it comes down to some weird tweet that Elon has put out. Um, I think this is... One of those times where we're going to look back at X and the Elon years, and this is going to be a movie at some point. You know, this is one of those things where it's you decide. It's very much you agree with what they're doing or you don't, and you you decide to leave. You know, the the reach that the X gives you, if you've got a brand of some sort, if you're you know, doing something and you've got a community, there's no denying the reach. But now with the way that it's gone and the certain people that's on the platform and some of the views that are being allowed to be put out there, it's down to the individual to say, you know what, I need to balance that, the reach that it gives me, the benefits that it gives me against how I feel about some of the people speaking on there. It's really interesting. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I know there's a lot of people who've drifted off to other platforms. I think, I mean, Threads is going to become, I think, more popular as as the months come along. Um, Some people are talking about Blue Sky. Others have gone to Mastodon. But to me, it's just shrank the audience. And, of course, it's divided all the audience up. You know, you can't create a place like Twitter. There's just nothing else like it. That's the problem. And it's a shame, in a lot of ways, that what's happened to Twitter. Because it is in a lot of ways, the the ideal place. But then I suppose there's two sides to everything in my view. And, and you know, I, I get people who make the argument, look, I don't want to be part of that. That's not where I want to be. I don't want to support this individual or whatever. Okay, fine, whatever. To me, that's just virtue signaling nonsense, if I'm perfectly honest. It doesn't mean anything. It's not going to change anything. It's just you feel you want to say the right thing because that feels right, the right thing oh. to say at the moment. It doesn't oh. achieve anything. I'm well, sorry. We've had this argument all throughout the yeah, year. Yeah, I, I, I know. If we've had one this person can forth. make a difference... It, well, good luck with that because you know all the people that left. I mean, what uh, so many hundreds of thousands of people might have left the platform, at least going by the data, and uh, yeah, it clearly made a difference. You know what it did? It let the people who were saying the horrible things on there just be amplified, because if you're not on there fighting back on it, then you're just letting them talk. You're just letting them do what they want to do. Yeah, but isn't that the point? That fighting back aspect, if we all go to very nice, very echo chambery other platforms, you know, this platform is very nice, we all agree with each other, then where is the, I'm going to say enjoyment in that, but where is the discussion? Where is the debate? Because that is part of it. We, we can't all agree because it's incredibly dull and boring. But it's also a, a, a symptom of a bigger problem which we see in society now, where we're seeing more and more people who are refusing to engage. We see this on, and how many stories have we read about college campuses in America yeah, uh, and universities, which just cannot seem to understand this idea. I mean, universities were, I've never been to a university in my life. I've, I've maybe been in a taxi and driven past one, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, and, you know, for me, it was always an, a place full of ideas a place full of, you know, you go there to form opinions, to have debates, to have discussions. That was Remember the whole thing about debate societies at uni? It's things like that. That, to me, was, and that actually was of interest to me. I remember when I was a kid, I remember thinking about going to university. It never was going to happen for me. There was no way we could afford to do that as a family. But for me, it was a case of, I'd love the, the, the debate society was the place I wanted to be. I wanted to debate with people ideas, not to sit and say, I'm right, you're wrong, but to have a genuine debate about something. Because I, one thing I pride myself on is changing my mind on things. I don't have a fixed view. It, would, it shocks people when I tell them this. I don't have a fixed view on things. And they say, I, I've heard you talk on the show. I don't think that's true. And I'm like, no, because that's what you do. That's what you do. I don't do that. I change my mind on things. If someone says to me, this is, a, a, this is the reason for this happening, or this is, you know, here's a perspective on this, it will change my mind. You know, I remember traveling a lot in my last job, and I'd go to countries, and my whole worldview would change. And I would just think, wow, what an amazing thing, what an amazing perspective. It made me want to travel more and do more things to learn about different people, rather than just hearing about it from our perspective in this country. Yeah, and even just going to a different country and watching a news bulletin can change your view on things. Exactly, because you see it from their perspective, looking into us. It's like when Americans leave America and they realise that not everyone's their biggest fan, and they go, "What? Why? What? What? People? People don't maybe like some of us over there. Was they don't get it? You know, they just can't get that around their heads because I love they've Americans. never been fed that. I'm just saying but they've never been they've never been fed that information, right? Because you're inside the bubble." 
And you well, got it, and and that's the wider problem. You got to get outside of your bubble. We've got friends who who say this to me. I've got friends who say to me, "I don't want to. I don't want to debate. I don't want to to debate and discuss." Why? Why don't you want your your mind stretched? But like everything, though, right? It's it's, it's uh, there's a spectrum to it. You don't want to every time you post something, you don't want a huge debate on it. But at the same time, as I, well, we always start from the foundation <laughs> that we think we're right. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of our beliefs and opinions because we believe them to be true. So we always start with that foundation that I'm right and the other person isn't. But it's that conversation that goes on that maybe, okay, if you present something to me that actually I can't argue against, then I would have to change my opinion on that. Well, I want to uh, focus in on a different area of Twitter because, of course, yeah, we could argue this all day and, and we'd get nowhere. But the truth is... Argument is good. There was a big, absolutely. Uh, there is a, there is a, another side to this story which I want to bring in, and it was the impact early in the year of third party apps that were slowly being banned one by one, and we spoke to one developer who had developed an app which was one of the first actually in the app store going way back, uh, and it was a Twitter app called Twitterific that a lot of us loved, and it was very accessible to us blind folks. It was created by the company Icon Factory. Gideon Mayhew was the developer and the co-founder, actually the, the co-founder of Twitterific. And um, he spoke to us, and he was, he was quite emotional, it's fair to say, about the fact that his app had essentially been destroyed. The, the possibility for it to be able to, to function mm-hmm. had been destroyed by Elon Musk. And we spoke to him at the early part of January. Twitter started all the way back in 2007, really and um it was a, a service that so so brand new and so unique it just allowed you to post small small snippets of your thoughts online and at the time there was nothing like it and we loved it when it when it was first released we we adored twitter but we didn't adore having to post from the website and we wanted first a native way to do it on our mac and craig Hockenberry, he came up with the idea of Twitterific as a Mac app that you could just launch on your desktop and put in a tweet and it would go. Of course, they weren't called tweets then. They were just posts or I can't remember exactly what they were called. And that was great and fun and it grew pretty quickly. And and at that fall, I think it was the fall of 2007, there was a South by Southwest conference in Austin, and Twitterific was the talk of that conference. Everyone was downloading it, trying it. Twitter was the you know the new hotness, and everyone really took off with it. And then, of course, the following year, the iPhone came out, 2008, and it was a natural extension of like, okay, well, if I can do this from a Mac, how much better would it be to be able to tweet you know, to post from anywhere. And we came up with a, there was no app store at the time, you know, 2008 was before the app store. Craig created a jailbreak version of Twitterific that you could sideload onto your phone. And that was also a big hit. Um, And then of course, when the app store came along, Twitterific was one of the very first apps in the app store. And uh, it allowed people to explore the, the wonderful early shiny newness of Twitter uh, without all of the, the current hate and 
you know, the rancor that that's going on now. It was Shiny like completely, newness. yeah, it's just just completely different time back then. I sound so old, but I mean, it's the truth. And um, and Twitter over the years has had its ups and downs. I mean, they've been friendly to developers, they've been hostile to developers. We've lived through all of that until very recently when Elon bought the company and decided that he didn't want to make it available to third-party apps anymore and killed us all off. It was tough. I'm, I'll be honest. It, uh, one of the hardest things that about this whole episode has been hearing from blind users who can no longer use Twitterific. You know, reading those emails really... I had a lot of sleepless nights, you know, to be honest. It's, it's, it's tough because you've put your heart and soul into something for so long, first of all, and you devoted so much of your professional life to it. And then it unceremoniously just gets ripped away, you know, on a whim. And that's hard enough to deal with. But when you have users coming out of the, the, the internet telling you that it's going to be harder to surf social media. It's going to be harder to make those connections with other users without your app, without the work that you've done. And that they may even, in fact, leave the service completely because of it. That is, uh, honestly, it's heartbreaking. And it's been one of the hardest things I've had to deal with through this whole thing. It really, it's tough. That was Gideon Mayhew there, the co-founder of Twitterific, talking to us earlier in the year. And I felt so, I really felt so bad for the guy. I really did. The amount of work that goes into creating something like that. You know, when you're using an app of any sort, it just seems so, this is nice. But the amount of man hours and work and thought that go into creating something like that is immense. And to have it just sort of, as he said, almost ripped away at a whim must be soul destroying. So on to February, and Google announced their plans for AI. They announced BARD. You remember that? <laughs> uh, that hasn't gone quite as well as hoped, has it? I mean, every story I hear about BARD seems to end with, or, or, or it starts with, hey, new thing in BARD, Google, brilliant AI, amazing. And then the next day, oh, it got the wrong information, it faked the response, it took longer than it intended to. Mm. It's not gone quite as to plan for Google, right? The, the, the kings and queens of search. Exactly. That's why it's, got it with this. That's why it's surprising because these have got search and database. I mean, the Google Assistant is absolutely amazing. It's one of the things I look at Android and think, oh, I wish I had that um, when you compare it to, you know, Siri or whatever. Um, absolutely amazing. But they just don't seem to have it. Or... Is it a case of perspective? Is it a case that OpenAI just have got all the limelight so far that everything is catching up? I mean, I don't know. I find it really hard to believe that Bard isn't going to be massive at some point. I don't know how long, but with Google behind it, you think they must have the resources available. Yeah, you would think so, right? Um, Well, we shall wait and see with interest how this develops. Uh, Of course, it was also the month in February that the Humanware Victor Stream 3rd generation, Victor Reader Stream 3rd generation, I should say, uh, was announced. And uh, we had uh, one of their spokespeople, Matthew, joining us from Humanware to tell us all about the new product. So honestly, before we started doing any kind of work on the project, the first uh, direction we had was we need to make it as 
intuitive and it needs to be someone who's used a stream two needs to be able to pick up a stream three and use it right away. And we've achieved that. So we have made some small changes, of course, because when you do a new product, I mean, it's pointless if you're not going to iterate and do some improvements yeah. and whatnot. But I mean, at the end of the day, when you take the device in your hand, the button are on the same place. So on the top row, you've got your go-to button, your online, your bookmark button. You've got your a numeric keypad just below that. Below that is the sleep key. And then below is the rewind, play, and fast-forward button. So exact same placement on the, as on the stream too. Uh, if you're looking for the power button, it's at the same place, top left edge. Uh, if you're looking for for the volume buttons, just below that, just like on the stream too. And then the record button for voice notes or bookmarks is on the right side. So... Uh, it is uh, physically, it's the exact same button placement, and in terms of the software, it is also super similar. So if you, you know, you're going to use your four and your six to go back and forward, you're going to use your pound key to confirm, you're going to use your star key to cancel, um, you're going to use the number one button to switch between bookshelves. So we've kept it the same. The only place in the software that's changed a little bit is the settings menu. So we, uh, the previous settings menu on the stream two uh, was a little bit clunky to use. So like, let's say for example, you wanted to go to Daisy online, you had to press seven, like eight or nine times. And then if you press it once too many times, you had to go back and do the whole mm -hmm. menu again. Now, if you press seven once, you're gonna get into your local settings. The local settings are um, whatever bookshelf you're on. So if you're on internet radio, you're going to get internet radio settings. If you're on podcast, you're going to get podcast settings. If you press seven a second time, then you're going to go into the global settings, which uh, is everything. So if you want to connect to Wi-Fi, connect to Bluetooth, you want to uh, change your looping options, whatever the case may be, this will be there. And then you can use four and six to navigate and then the pound key to drill down into the menu. The menu is also the same whether you're on the online or the offline bookshelf, which was a bit of a source of confusion for users on the stream too. So we've just made it the same on both both sides of the device. Now, of course, the other thing with the Victor Rear Stream 3rd Gen was that it came out and it instantly kind of created a bit of controversy around some of the content issues. Uh, there were a few uh, UI issues as well, people having issues trying to navigate around, getting a little bit of a different experience, of course, because it is a different device, slightly different way of doing things. Uh, audible support was another big issue as well, although they are saying they're hoping that will be resolved in uh, early uh, 2024. So fingers crossed that uh, it happens. It seems to be an issue that is specific to Audible that they have to fix. Yes, Audible have finally, it seems, recognised that and will get it sorted. So you'll be able to authenticate and actually download your books, uh, Audible books, that is, onto the device soon. So that is definitely coming. That definitely, for me, was one of the big announcements of the year because I think what people don't realise is, Sean, that the Victor Reader Stream 2nd Gen came out 10 years earlier. Yes, I know. Yeah, exactly. And this is an incredibly popular product. I mean, I know so many people that, that go crazy to buy these when they go on sale or, you know, who actually like having a almost a second device because, of course, my old thing is, well, you know, I can do the same thing on my smartphone. But... It's different. It's a different way of accessing it, the user interface, you know, the, the physical buttons. It's a, for a second device or even for some people for their main device if they're talking about, you know, if they're in education at all for the recording of lectures and things and listening back to notes 
It's excellent. Um, I am slightly disappointed with the the bugs on release, but then again, in our community, it's something that we sort of forgive quite easily. We are very patient in mm-hmm. this community when it comes down to that sort of thing. So, and in the case of Audible, you know, to give um, to give them their their fair shout, it was sort of fifty percent each way of who was to blame, and you know, waiting on Audible to pick this up as well. Coming up next, we're going to talk about one of the biggest app stories of 2023. Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And to one of the biggest app stories of 2023 now. And uh, can you guess which app I'm going to suggest to you was maybe the one that we talked about most in 2023? No, I'm racking my brains right now trying to think what it could be. It was Soundscape. That's the one we talked about most. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Back in, when was it? It was back in May, I think, that we said... Our final goodbyes. I mean, August was... A, it I think shifted a, around. I've totally forgotten it did move around. the initial Well, in May we were saying goodbye, and then by August we were still saying goodbye. It was like when friends come over sometimes, and the kind of, you know, the conversation moves from the living room <laughs> to the hall, then to the car, and yes. eventually they Waving leave. as they go, yes. Yeah. And you one more up. thing. Yes. No, I'm going back in, <laughs> goodbye. And then they call you. Like, oh, when will this end? Uh, well, yeah, that was what happened with Soundscape, but in a... You know, more tragic way. Uh, so, <laughs> Soundscape ended. Uh, and we heard from Becky Zarr, of course, one of our regular contributors here on Double Tap and also host of our own podcast called Raising Kindness on AMI-audio. And uh, Becky told us her thoughts on upon hearing the news that Soundscape would come to an end in 2023. I, I honestly didn't believe it. And I was like, okay, like there's got to be some sort of mistake or confusion or mismessaging that's taken place. And so I kind of just let it percolate for a little bit. And then I kind of read a little bit more about it and it was legitimately going away. And then I got like kind of a little bit fearful. And I was thinking about, you know, myself and this is going to come and coincide right with summertime when my son is off school and I want to be out confidently doing things in the community with him. And then I started thinking about other people and thinking, well, maybe they don't even have the resource that I do. At least I'll have a 13-year-old walking beside me, right, that can verify a particular intersection that's right in front of me, not two blocks up ahead. And so, you know, I, I was just really frustrated in that I feel that, you know, we know statistically isolation is a big problem for people with visual impairments. And I just feel like this is going to compound the issue for some other people as well. They don't have access to, you know, maybe the monetary money that's associated with purchasing Blind Square. Or, you know, finding a different app that's actually compatible and to their liking. And I, I mean, personally with me, I just love the visual aspect um, of what is going on around me. That's something I really missed when I lost my sight is I, I want to know what businesses I'm going by. And lots of times I'm actually told about businesses that I had no idea that have moved into that spot. Yeah. And so it's just, it's really informative and it feels really comfortable for me. So that was Becky Zarr talking to us about the sad news that the app was going, and, and it did affect us, right? I mean, we have to just acknowledge this for a moment, that it had a major impact on us when we found out this app was going. Again, a bit like when we learned about Twitter banning third-party apps, we were starting to realise that there was a bit of an implosion happening here of big apps that we were used to, that we were comfortable with, we were enjoying, that were making our lives more independent, 
and suddenly they were being ripped away. And and this, like Becky says, had a real impact on her as well as us. Well, because it's so important. It's so, I mean, the the confidence it gives you, the 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 comfort, the the rest it gives you, which sounds weird, but I've started using it every single day since since I lost all my usable vision um, because it means I don't have to concentrate so hard. Even on a walk that I do every day, I don't have to count the drop curbs so I know when the intersection's coming up. I can just simply tune out just like anyone else would and basically be told, hey, you're approaching an inner. Oh, yeah, that's right. I know where I am. Um, it's that sort of thing. And, you know, it is interesting to see the impact that Soundscapes had because we, we just sort of assume... Well, you know, it's always going to be there now. And as soon as there is that fear that it's not, we start looking around for something else. Blind Square, Lazarillo, what else can replace it? And you realise, actually, there's something about Soundscape that is unique that makes it so popular. And it was, it was a scary time. So going through the timeline of the year, uh, we get to June, and that is when it seems as if we are getting final closure on the app. Now, the app had been removed in May, uh, from the App Store, so you can no longer download it. In fact, I think it might have been earlier in the year than that, actually, it was actually deleted from the App Store. Hmm. But those who still had it on their phones could continue using it, and the time was extended from May through to August, or at least end of July. So what we learned was that in June, there was a new beta uh, of an app called OpenScape, uh, although this seemed to confuse a lot of, uh, or create a lot of confusion for me, because I kept calling it Open Space, which I still think to this day was a better name. Well done. But uh, yes, the OpenScape <laughs> beta came along and that brought Soundscape back for some because it was a beta and it was a fairly closed off beta. It would open up and some people could get in. It was a very, very early, rough example of what would be coming. And then in August, two stories emerge almost at the same time. As soon as the app is gone completely, Microsoft have now uh, handed over the source code entirely. The app is gone from the App Store two new versions of Soundscape appear. One is Soundscape via the Scottish Tech Army. Kirsty Jackson from the Scottish Tech Army joined us and talk us through the sustainability of such an app going forward. We have to find a way, I think, of putting the control of that technology into the hands of the community that's dependent upon it. And I think one of the ways to do that is to is to develop a framework that spreads the cost of hosting apps like this across multiple organisations so that no single organisation is shouldering the burden of the cost, but also no single organisation gets to pull the plug on it. Um, And that actually somehow there is a different framework. There is a different conversation that goes on about you know, the sustainability of it over the longer term. And if you're if you're a global this is a global product at the end of the day, if you if globally you've got, you know, communities all over the world using it, that cost can be really tiny for lots and lots of organizations. And it means that no one organization, if their their contribution, you know, needs to be diverted somewhere else where the need is greater, that if they pull it from Soundscape, that the whole app doesn't just stop overnight because the money's not there. And that was really important to talk about sustainability uh, of all the conversation we had, because, you know, up until this point, Microsoft were bankrolling it and that was great. But now it was out there and it was essentially open source. What what did we have in terms of surety that it was going to be there in a year's time? If there's no conversation around sustainability, if it's just a case of let's bring the app back for fun and games then it's not going to last forever. That was the problem. And, you know, for me, I was seeing other versions coming along. We saw, of course, the OpenScape beta. 
Uh, but then we saw Voice Vista come along as well. Yes. And that felt very much like a hobby project in a lot of ways. And that's not to do down the work of, of that app at all or, or indeed the developer behind it. But the reality is that, you know, how long can that be sustainable for? And that's, that's before we even get into the conversation about the number of soundscapes that have emerged since. So you know, there was a really interesting conversation going on around, you know, how this can, can last long term. Yeah, sustainability. I think it all shook us, the original soundscape being able to be taken away as it was. And uh, we didn't want to be in that situation again. And, you know, it's interesting, as you say, we now have, what, three different versions? And is that in itself going to become a problem? Should these start working together uh, uh, as one? You're absolutely right. There there are two soundscapes now. Soundscape uh, from Scottish Tech Army and Soundscape community. This was a, a project which involved lots of different organisations, including the National Council of the Blind in Ireland. And we got a chance to catch up with them to find out about uh, how they got involved with this project. I guess from my point of view, um, my experience with Soundscape uh, up until very recently had always been as a user. Uh, I'm visually impaired myself and I, like many visually impaired people, I'd been using the Soundscape app uh in its microsoft iteration to uh you know get to like jarnell said a library things like that um and uh infamously the the ncbi christmas party which one has to go to you know so (laughs) these little things so uh we got to those kind of things and for that soundscape was very beneficial but i remember um just early december uh last year uh Microsoft announced uh, that they were going to be sunsetting uh, the project. And my first impression on that is, okay, uh, because I'm in a content role, how are we going to cover this? And I remember at the time there were discussions about, uh, do we go forceful on Microsoft? Well, you know, what's the position here? Um, But Chantelle and her team over in NCBI, so Chantelle uh, works for uh, Possibility Lab, which is uh, the kind of orientation and mobility kind of wing of NCBI, if you will. Um, So they reached out along with uh, NCBI Labs, our technology division, and uh, Jarnell was involved uh, and the whole team kind of came together then and... uh, work began on soundscape community so that was how it all began and uh, of course uh, david redmond there from ncbi uh, talking uh, about uh, journal chudge who was part of our interview that we uh, had uh, with uh, ncbi talking about soundscape community returning journal charge being one of the original people involved in creating microsoft soundscape way back in the day so cool. uh, yeah if you go to the website double tap on air.com you'll be able to uh, search for Soundscape Community or Soundscape, uh, actually, and you'll get lots of interviews and conversations around that topic that you can go and uh, listen back to. But uh, yeah, John L. Church, an incredible guy. We were so pleased to speak to him as well. But yes, David Redmond there and Aifa Buckley joining us from NCBI on that conversation. So that takes us, uh, and we now move back a little bit because we're going to, uh, where are we, April? Well, actually, March as well, CSUN took place. Let's not forget that. Yes. Um, And in April, it was the month where we saw Amazon announce support for cochlear implants on devices. You might remember that. So uh, Amazon announced that on their Fire TV sticks, 
and on certain other devices, on tablets as well, they would start to allow for the ability to connect cochlear implants and certain Bluetooth headsets to those devices. Again, you know, just making these devices more accessible, which was great. Seeing AI, uh, of course, had a big story at the end of the year, but in the middle of the year, or in the early part of the year, I should say, uh, had a, a big story of their own as well with uh, announcing, remember this, the indoor navigation feature was announced? Oh, yes. Indoor navigation is an exciting new feature which allows one person to lay down a trail of virtual waypoints. Someone can then follow the route later on by following the audio cues. You can think of this like laying down a trail of breadcrumbs and following them later on. First of all, let's switch to the World Channel. Channel. Short text. World. Preview. If you're using a device with a LiDAR, you'll have buttons for filters and actions and you'll find Indoor Navigation inside the Actions menu. Actions. Indoor Navigation. On other devices, you'll see Indoor Navigation right on the main screen. Here we have a list of all routes found nearby. As we swipe through, Routes. Heading. We hear there's just one route. Break Room to Coffee Bar. Button. Break Room to Coffee Bar. So let's double tap it and select Follow. Break Alert. Follow. Button. Loading route. Now, we hear a sound coming from the first waypoint, and visually, a series of balls stretching out along the route. Let's walk towards the sound, and that pop indicates we've hit the first waypoint. Let's look with the camera, left and right, and we can hear the location of the next waypoint. Let's keep going. There's another one. And another. And let's keep going. That success sound indicates we've reached our destination. And here we are at the coffee bar. That's a really quick overview of following a route with indoor navigation. This is really early technology, and we invite all feedback from the community. We want to know how you use this and how we can make it better. Sakib Sheikh, there, uh, one of the key people involved in creating Seeing AI. He is going to be joining us in uh, the next couple of weeks for a special interview talking about his role at Seeing AI and watching how Seeing AI has developed over the uh, past few years and where it's going as well, because, of course, AI is everywhere, right? But Seeing AI kind of got in there first. When you think back, 2017 was when that app was launched. Yep. So it was kind of there ahead of the game. Um, Into May, and it was the month where we saw the launch of the Braille Doodle, a device that would make Braille more accessible to children, and in particular to children who were learning remotely. Kind of a child of the pandemic, you might say, this product, because it was built on the idea of getting Braille to children so they could learn, they could feel Braille, they could learn and use Braille, uh, which was very difficult to do over the internet. You had to have something physical in front of you to be able to create the, the Braille cells, and that's exactly what the Braille Doodle does. So uh, interested to see how that product develops. We'll be hearing more about that throughout this year. Also the month that Final Cut came to the iPad. Yes, I think we forget so much about these stories, right? We forget that this <laughs> even happened, but yeah. Final Cut came to the iPad and uh, brought with it some interesting accessibility. Uh, also, uh, transcribing audio became easier using an app called Ico. Thomas Donville joined us for a review of that through the year. And again, another example of how AI was starting to creep in to lots of different areas. I mean, prior to this app, it was almost impossible 
to, I mean, unless you were, you know, using a really expensive service, trying to create simple transcripts for audio was quite difficult. You either had to do it manually, or like I say, you'd have to pay for a service to do it. And Ico comes along, it's a Mac app, A-I-K-O is how you spell it. And that allowed you on your iPhone or on your Mac to be able to just drop a file in and it would just give you a transcription. And that was it. Free of charge. All the work was done on your machine. Quite incredible. It's just, it's one of those things again where we're stuck in our bubble and we don't really think about, but it's not until you get an app like this which opens up a service, a, a, a feature such as transcription, where you think, you know, so many things lack transcription because of that very reason. It's either very expensive or incredibly time intensive. And something like this can make a difference and make transcriptions available to many, many more people. It would make it, it would anger me when I would read online people saying things like, you know, make sure your content's accessible, make sure your podcast has got a transcript. And I believe, how am I going to do that? How can I do that? This is not the most accessible thing to do. And I have to say, there's still a lot of question marks around, you know, making sure accuracy is 100% uh, with all of this. So, you know, it's not, we're not there yet, but it's definitely improving. And these apps do make at least the ability to get the transcript a lot easier. So that's a good start. Believe it or not, May was also the month that we saw the first chat GPT app show up as well uh, for iOS. Yes, that was only back in May that the ChatGPT app, which of course is now fully flourished and everyone's talking about how wonderful it is. It's got the voice features built in now as well. But back then it was quite rudimentary. It just started out and uh, that was launched in May, which is again, incredible. We move on to June and it was Apple's WWDC event that everybody was talking about. Well, we certainly were plenty of talk about that. And why? Because it was the announcement of the Vision Pro that really caught our attention. And afterwards, about three days after the event happened, we learned about some accessibility functionality, in particular, voiceover being present on the new Vision Pro coming out this year. Let's open the app and toggle voiceover on with a triple press of the digital crown. Happy Bean, choose how you will cheer up grumpy clouds. On this platform, voiceover uses different finger pinches on different hands to perform different actions. By default, you can move focus to the next item by pinching your right index finger. Make a heart with two hands, button. Use a pinch gesture or a compatible device, button. To move focus to the previous item, pinch your right middle finger. Make a heart with two hands, button. To activate an item, pinch your right ring finger or your left index finger. Now that we're familiar with some of VoiceOver's basic controls, let's explore the rest of the app. Three, two, one. Happy Bean, back, button, score zero. Stop music, button, 29 seconds remaining. Pause, button. And we'll talk a lot more about the Vision Pro when it is released. Whenever Apple decide to release it in 2024, <laughs> it is one of those coming soon products. Um, We'll see. There's, there's talk of it possibly in January. There's also talk of it in February. 
March, April, twenty twenty six. Who knows? Yes, we have no idea. The development kits are out there, so developers do have their hands on the actual hardware itself. Uh, of course, from my point of view, I'm just interested in what uh, assistive tech can do with this technology. It was also uh, an interesting month in June because uh, we saw some major changes to Reddit. And uh, their API changes had a big impact on blind users. Samuel Pruhl joined us to share his thoughts. Many of the third-party apps that we were using were actually intended for everyone. Uh, They had great voiceover accessibility. For example, Apollo on iPhone is the tool that most of us as moderators use. But that app is also used by sighted folks in the same way that Spring for Twitter was, right? It was great and it was accessible, but it wasn't just blind people who used it. As Reddit defines accessibility focused, it would not be eligible for an exemption because it is accessible, not accessibility focused. So some major changes at Reddit that have had an impact on the community that seeming to settle down now, but still, I think it's fair to say, Sean, still a lot of unrest about what's happened at Reddit. I must admit, I didn't like Reddit's attitude towards the uh, third-party developers at all. Um, there has been some movement here, some compromise, so we'll have to wait and see. But still, it didn't didn't leave a great uh, taste in the mouth when it came down to Reddit and their whole attitude towards accessibility and their whole reason of being for third-party apps. Quick run through the rest of the year because uh, so much happened in 2023. Uh, convention month, of course, in July. We had coverage from Site Village in the UK. We had coverage at the NFB convention and at the ACB conventions as well. Huge thanks to Damasi Thomas, Michael Babcock, and Tim Dixon for bringing us our reports through the year. You can check all of that out on our website, doubletaponair.com. August, though, was the month of a new product. And one that would appeal to a lot of us as blind people because it was built for us. It was smart glasses from Celeste. We're making glasses that will help people with vision loss get back their independence. And so we have a camera in the middle. We have a mic and speaker and we'll let you read text, detect objects, uh, describe your environment, detect faces. Uh, We added a feature recently to tell you the make and model of a car to help people get into Uber. So there's all kinds of things to let people do tasks by themselves also in august it was the month of the capsis smart vision 3 being launched we had from the company ras mobility the answer to that is i think familiar to many people who try to learn talk back or voiceover which is that for many people doing those gestures on a touch screen is challenging especially for many seniors who are older who didn't grow up blind who aren't that familiar with technology whose patience perhaps isn't what it used to be. Learning that is challenging. On the other hand, people are typically very comfortable with using touch. It's not new to them. We use touch for all kinds of things every day, before, you know, while we have vision and after we've lost our vision. So having the ability to use a tactile keypad rather than learning those gestures makes Learning how to use a full-fledged smartphone, I think, much, much easier for someone who's older and who might have challenges with those uh, with those touchscreen gestures. September was the month we saw Lego launch their Braille Bricks to everyone, and Be My Eyes got involved as well. Be My Eyes pretty much dotted its way through the entire year, actually, because, of course, if you think about Be My AI launching as well, and the amazing work that they did with Microsoft creating 
the first AI-supported customer service center. I mean, quite an incredible story in itself. Yeah. Um, that also being the big news out of Be My Eyes and, of course, being center stage at OpenAI's event in November as well. Uh, in October, it was CES unveiled in Amsterdam, which you can, again, check out all the details from, listen to all the conversations from on our website and on Access Tech Live as well. Search for us on YouTube there. In November, though, it was uh, a piece of kitchen tech that got Sean all excited. Yes, the uh, first, I think, talking air fryer, Sean. Oh, yes, I love air fryers. And talking ones, ah, oh, what's not to love? And as a representative from the company Cobalt Systems that are building this new device, told us uh, it's not the only one coming in 2024. In the start of next year, the, the first few months of next year, we will be having a new version of the microwave and the combination oven. We've had plenty of time to develop. This one, it's going to have a new chassis, slightly new look. The keypad will be the same. The voice will be the same, but it will have a new handle and a slightly different look. JAWS announced in November that their next big thing would be AI image descriptions. That was uh, from one of the contestants, in fact, the winner of JAWS' next big thing contest. Chaos OpenAI reigned. Did it survive? The answer is yes. That quickly covers a lot of news <laughs> in that particular arena. And in December, it was Forza that won big at the Game Awards for accessibility, being uh, apparently one of the first games to be fully accessible to a totally blind player. Although I think the phrase mileage may vary, and that might depend on the driver, i.e. me. Uh, but <laughs> certainly a fantastic opportunity to learn that uh, a game like that is accessible to blind people. It was Netflix drama, All the Light We Cannot See, that kind of brought out the story of blindness in two ways, through the character and the show, but also with the audio description. We had a fantastic catch-up last year with uh, Fern Lullum, who is the audio describer. You can, again, listen to that on the website. And it was also the month that Seeing AI launched on Android, as well as Be My AI launching on the Be My Eyes app on Android as well. We ended the year with Site Tech Global, Ned Desmond told us how he got that project started. This event uh, is free to anyone who wants to participate, but we um, generate revenue from it uh, through sponsorships from a lot of companies that uh, support the assistive tech world. And that revenue goes uh, not to Site Tech Global, uh, but to the Vista Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired, which is a local services agency here in Silicon Valley that's been around for 75 years and uh, does great work with about 3,000 people a year uh, who have all stages of, of vision loss. Um, they are a nonprofit, and this uh, event is essentially a fundraiser for them. We came up with this idea at the start of the pandemic. Um, my wife happens to be blind, and uh, she works closely with the Vista Center. The Vista Center uh, had a, a heavy reliance on in-person fundraising events, and the pandemic shut most of those down, and they really needed a new idea. Uh, and it just happened that I was rolling off my uh, job, which I ran a business, a media business called TechCrunch for many years, which is focused on tech and does a lot of events. And uh, as a consequence, I have a great Rolodex of speakers and uh, sponsors and all that sort of thing. So I volunteered to put together a new type of event, virtual, online, as we've discussed, that uh, could attract a great audience, uh, could showcase the fact that we're here in Silicon Valley and uh, we hoped at the time raise uh, some some good funds to help keep Vista afloat. And it's all come true. So we're now in our fourth year 
It's functioning very nicely as the big fundraiser for the Vista Center. And it does double duty because it's uh, got a nice global audience of several thousand people every year who really enjoy hearing from these these creators, these makers, these technologists who are out there um, building the next generation of tech and taking advantage of AI and things like that. So it's uh, it's been a very gratifying project. Now, Desmond, they're uh, talking about uh, how Site Tech Global got started, an incredible story. And uh, you can check out all this content on our website. You can also continue to subscribe to our podcast as well. Uh, that is 2023 in review. We haven't even touched the sides of half the tech news that was in the year. And it kind of goes to show, Sean, how the technology world has changed. Yeah, absolutely. And how many of those stories did you just forget about? And it's yeah. not until you go back because there has just been story after story after story. It's been a great year for accessibility, I think. Absolutely. That's our tech review of 2023. We will do it all again in 2025. Wow. Ooh. In the meantime, thank you for listening. We'll catch you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Margaret Shepherd of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.